The following episode of Days of Thunder is brought to you as part of the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. Go to ProWrestlingOnly.com to enjoy other fine podcasts, as well as match reviews, book reviews, video game reviews, and of course our forums. Let's start the show. Thunder Buddies and Travellers Down Thunder Road. It is us again, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder Rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway. I'm your guide, your tour guide, your museum curator down Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined on the line as I am every week by Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you? I'm not too bad. I'm recovering, but not too bad. Uh, Yeah. Curator in a museum, that's a new one. Yeah, I, I I realized when I didn't have a solid intro for myself every week that I'm going to start rolling out these things eventually. So let's see how long I can keep going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but this is Days of Thunder, your, your WCW Thunder rewatch podcast over here at ProWrestlingOnly.com. Uh, our second show here as part of the Pro Wrestling Only podcast network. Um, and hey, I think... F- up, up the top buddy we should probably start off by thanking all our new listeners for tuning in uh, enjoying the show and interacting with us over the last two weeks since our show dropped oh, on yeah. Super Brawl very pleased with uh, the, the amount of new listens we've had in the past couple of weeks since the pay-per-view show dropped and yeah very happy to be part of PWO yeah so uh ProWrestlingOnly.com, as we say at the top of the show, that's uh, where you can find um, the show, as well as on the feeds. If you're already subscribed to our old feeds, you can find us on there. Um, in addition, we, we always talk about how at uh, WCW Thunderpod on Twitter is the best way to chat to us, but uh, just for this week anyway, I'd just like to draw your attention to it, if you didn't know before, that over on forums.prowrestlingonly.com, we have our own little thread there where Lee is posting the shows as they go up. Um, so if you want to turn that into a bit of a discussion space for upcoming episodes, of thunder ones that we've already done and things you might have missed really appreciate that um going forward here we're, we're really enjoying the interactions we have with the thunder buddies uh, so anything i can do to kind of stoke that flame uh, I, i'm very happy to do um pal before we get into the wcw of it all um i think there's a couple of things that it would be remiss of us uh, not to talk about on the program uh, that are kind of WCW adjacent, shall we say. Um, And the first is a a sad bit of news um, that happened in between our last two programs, and that was the death of Silver King. Yeah. Yeah. um, Who we had talked about a couple of times uh, as one of the luchadors on WCW during the period we're covering now, and we will be coming across him again, I'm sure. Uh, tragic accident on a London show um, Silver King passing away Yeah I mean I'm, I won't pretend to have been a massive Silver King fan um, Obviously I don't watch that much Lucha, never have But the, seeing him here and there Obviously on Thunder and 
a few bits of Nitro I might have seen him on I mean he was only a young man he was only 51 I think and to die in the ring I mean it's, it's just a tra- it was I mean, it's a tragic accident I mean it was I think it was a heart attack people are saying he had and, yeah and um, I feel sorry for Uvi and Black Terry who were in the ring with him at the time and just haven't really got a clue what was going on yeah, uh, terrible. But it, it it's just a kind of thing where we, you know, it's a it's a light and breezy program generally. But I, I feel like it would be kind of uh, negligent of us not to bring that up. Um, a man we had enjoyed in our couple of encounters with him so far, and I'm sure in any future encounters we have on the show, we'll still enjoy him. Rest in peace, Silver King. Um, the other thing, uh, what is new is old, and what is old is new, my friend. Uh, wrestling is back on Turner Broadcasting. Um. This happened since our last show. Uh, All Elite Wrestling uh, is going to be on TNT starting in the autumn. What a time to be alive! Um, yeah, I mean you. I mean you are a bit younger than I am, so you probably don't remember the Monday Night Wars at its peak. Yeah, so I I tech I, like I started watching some wrestling in '96. And but I would have kind of like not been really aware of stuff, and I'd say I would have only gotten obsessive about wrestling in nineteen ninety eight, like later on in this year that we're um that we're covering now. But I don't know when it would be a little bit later than that again by the time I got to WCW. So yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean AEW. I mean it was a great first show on uh, Saturday night there, and. I'm very much looking forward to seeing a couple of jumps back and forward between companies, hopefully down the line. Mm. Seeing uh, who doesn't stay with WWE, who jumps over, who signs with AEW, who comes in from the independents. I'm, yeah. I'm very much looking forward to this upcoming time period in the business. Yeah, and hopefully it gives us another multi-year podcast when we eventually run out of thunder. <laughs> I think I made that joke on uh, on Twitter. I basically said, uh, I can't wait to cover, start an AEW podcast in 20 years covering AEW lightning or whatever they call the show yeah i'd also thought to myself that uh when glacier showed up on uh double or nothing i tweeted out that i think we can write double or nothing's pay-per-view off as a business expense now for case of thunder <laughs> i think so i mean jericho is in the main event i mean he's basically a yeah. that's certainly what i'm going to tell the tax man anyway um <laughs> Our, our last bit of formality before we get into our episode of Thunder this week is uh, something that we've been pushed into by the quality of the show a few weeks ago, and that is uh, pairing a nice beer with our, uh, our, our, our Thunder proceedings. Lee, what are you rocking this week as I go to open my own? This week I have, again, it's an Irish, uh, an Irish brew. It's an O'Shea's Irish Stout. It's a 4.5%, and it brewed with using traditional methods with select hops and barleys and it is quite delicious I uh, for mine that is one that's on my list and uh, this week I, I went to a couple of different off licenses and supermarkets to try and see how long I can extend this uh, drinking a, a blonde or, or pale ale for gimmick and it turns out quite a few more weeks <laughs> Uh, because for our next two episodes, I'll be rocking a Grafters Labor of Love Extra Pale Ale. I have um, never heard of Grafters. That's a new one. Yeah, I found it. It's it's made in Selbridge, County Kildare, not too far from myself. Um, so, yeah, rocking a local brew here. Looking forward to uh, diving into this, even if I'm not looking forward to diving into wrestling. If you have any uh, beer recommendations for us, do send them to us on Twitter as well, because we will find them. <laughs> yeah, we, we we are not experts, but we will do anything to dull the pain of some of these shows. 
Yeah, we will. On that note, let's just crack into it. Thunder Episode 8, February 26, 1998, from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Uh, We have a tease right up the top of the show that Bill Goldberg will be on the show, uh, that we have Benoit versus DDP3, so my excitement is already peaking here. Uh, And we've got the usual, the lads on commentary. Um, as they try to introduce us to the show for the first time in the run of Thunder uh, I noticed the crowd chanting weasel at Bobby um, which is amazing because with just one shake of his head he instantaneously buries the entire crowd uh, <laughs> as this is happening yeah I, I love when the crowd put on uh, Bobby's back and you just give them one look and just the, the noise would intensify tenfold yeah, it was it was just a withering shake of the head as they tried to get a weasel chant going here. I think I think, uh, I think you're buried the lead on this one. There's a match on this show that I never realised took place. Go for it. Kevin Nash versus Raven. Indeed, yes, that's one that would be teased for later on. We also have a tease that Scott Hall, or it's not Scott Hall, sorry, Scott Steiner is going to try talk his brother Rick into the NWO. Um, so plenty on the plate for this evening and I, I do like this when these commentators do that um, and it's a thing where WWE have gotten very lax about it but do you remember when Raw used to start with a here's the real cool stuff that's coming up tonight mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to stay tuned uh, whereas now even when they tell you about stuff that's coming up it's not very interesting but like, like I said you've got that what the follow-up with Scott Steiner, you've got Benoit versus DDP3, which has been a great series, Bill Goldberg is catching on fire, and as you said, Nash versus Raven. Um, so there's plenty, at least in prospect, to stay tuned for. Uh, we start off fairly quickly uh, with uh, a nice little tag match here, Eddie Guerrero and Jericho versus Booker and Malenko. Um <laughs> Uh, er, uh, an early shout for a highlight of the whole show is Jericho dancing to Eddie's music as Eddie <laughs> enters. Yeah, um, this was, the, I think, the short-lived A and Way connection, I think they call themselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was also a Jericho-holic sign in the crowd, which I think was a first Yeah, on the entrance. Yeah. He's really starting to do the, He's really starting to put the uh, Jericho-holic thing over in promos now And mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's paying off with signage um, But I just love the contrast Of um, the two lads here uh, Eddie with his Just uh, absolutely World-class mean-mugging As he walks out to the ring mm-hmm. Contrasted with this fucking goof Chris Jericho dancing away to his music But you can, you can imagine Them being friends though Because they are that kind of the the straight guy and the kind of like the goofy fucker and that just irritates everyone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, completely. Um, and they're, as I said, facing off against Booker T and Malenko, who are, again, two opposite ends of a, sp- of a personality spectrum as well. Uh, you gotta say, this is long before ladies' man Dean Malenko, uh, mm-hmm. certainly. <laughs> um, I, did, I did like that they basically, they started out dramatically saying that these four would be in title matches at the next pay-per-view. It was basically setting up Eddie versus Booker and Malenko versus Jericho for the yeah. uh, TV title and the Cruiserweight title, respectively. Yeah, I like that because what it's after doing there is it's immediately, within seconds this match started, giving you giving you another layer of interest in the match that okay, I'm going to kind of focus in now on this opener because uh, events that occur in here may play off further down the road. Uh, One thing I didn't like 
too much about this being the opener is that in the opening encounter on your two-hour program are two of the company's singles champions. Uh, I thought maybe you could... There's a couple of matches on this show you definitely could have put earlier, or at least um, a couple of angles on this show you could have put before, like, just... This is basically the cold open of the program, you know? But I think they were kind of going for the hot opening as well, though. They, like, you can understand putting out a hot match to start the show. Yeah, I suppose that's the great dilemma, isn't it? Like, do you do you save all the good stuff till the end, or do you start hot and then kind of lull for a while? Um, it's an unenviable. Like, and I suppose they have such an embarrassment of riches on this undercard at the time that it's it really is a tough decision to make. Um, but at, like, pretty much instantaneously when this match starts, it goes to a break. Um, and uh, what I love about this is something I, I don't know if I noticed in any of our previous episodes of the show is that the we're going to an ad break music plays very loudly in the arena over the speakers. Okay, I didn't understand. I wasn't sure if it played in the actual arena or if they just uh, put it on the on the production of it and it was just for the TV pe- the, uh, people watching on TV. I I am certain this played in the arena and they flashed the lights as well. <laughs> as they were doing it which is the greatest sign to a crowd in the audience that oh we could just immediately stop paying attention now rest holes <laughs> yeah this is there's going to be some arm bars uh what what did you think of um shivani bringing up that they've they've gotten rid of the over the top rope dq rule yeah, so I this is a, literally my my next note. Uh, the announcers make mention that the over-the-top rope disqualification rule is gone, to which I wrote that I had no idea that rule was still in place. Uh, I remember... Now, I don't remember ever watching Nitro when this rule was in place, like when I was small, but I do remember reading about this um, rule in Death of WCW. But I had no kind of... It, the, the, this rule was kind of unmoored in my head from any particular time. Mm. And unless I'm very, very much mistaken, there had been no over-the-top rope disqualifications on any episode of Thunder or either pay-per-view so far. No, there hasn't been on our one so far. Uh, it, it's a holdover rule from, I'm going to say the Watts era, like early yeah, 91, I, I, 92-ish. Yeah, because that was, there was like, you couldn't go on the top rope at all either, could you? Yeah, that was one of his rules, uh, no top rope moves, uh, I think he got rid of the mats outside the ring, um, yeah. stuff like that, and I think this, for some reason, this this rule just ended up holding over until 1998 for some reason. I guess it just stuck in there until it annoyed sufficient people to just drop it. I, I think it was something that they could just use as an excuse. Now, I, I can't recall any time they would have used it after, like, lots of yeah. era. But, part of, I mean, part of me is kind of frustrated because if I knew that this was a thing, I probably would have paid closer attention because I have a feeling that maybe it did come up. <laughs> like somebody did go over the top rope and no one noticed. I'm sure it's happened. To, um, I mean, do you remember when Abyss won the NWA title in TNA from Sting? Uh, I have a lot of memories of that company suppressed, but do continue. He won, won the title by DQ. And this was, was some long-held NWA title ruling that the champion, if disqualified, would yeah, lose the yeah. And nobody yeah. in the crowd realized this was a rule. Yeah, that was the like fuck out of it, like that was like a f- early first Russo era rule, wasn't it? Yeah. Because there was that stretch around the time that not long after Christian showed up, and or maybe around the time Kurt showed up as well in TNA, that like there was a string of maybe three or four champions where no one actually lost the belt. Yeah. 
pretty much. There was there was a couple of people were stripped of belts, and there was a DQ title change, and mm-hmm. like, oh Jesus Christ! Um, the base one is just the one that stands out in my mind because it's like this guy that TNA had built up for so long, and then he just wins the title by a fucking DQ. It was so bad. Yeah, this match was decent. Those back and forth. Um, the uh, the story of the match is that the heels keep attempting shortcuts to try and put them away. Um, the eventually you get to the point where Malenko puts Jericho in the clover leaf. Uh, Eddie hits Booker at the same time with the frog splash. Jericho taps as the ref counts three. Uh, I thought this was a pretty clever finish. I know it's a bit rote that the kind of the way to build a pay per view match is to get a uh, like to, to beat the champion yeah, on television visual, visual in an on-title game, match yeah. so you were getting a tag match where the finish was ostensibly a visual pin mm. and submission on the two champions here so I thought that was quite clever to be honest yeah it was a clever finish in one sense it also made Dimalenko look like a fucking fool in another because he yeah. saw Eddie doing the frog splash and getting the pin yeah, yeah, he positioned himself quite badly there. Like, you want to do it in a position where he can't see any yeah, of that like happening. Yeah, he should have had his back to him and, like, could have torn or something like that. But, yeah, other than that, I mean, yeah, it's clever. Get the two uh, challengers over. Hmm. Um, our, our next bit here, we had a tease for WCW Saturday Night, and I know you were happy <laughs> because Disco Inferno was the first name tease. So that'll oh, tell yeah. you the level of quality this week on Saturday Night. I will not be taking any Disco Inferno dissing this week. <laughs> there's a growing just, ever growing legion of us out there Dave no it's not it's you and Chris <laughs> there's more well, there has to be more of us a man who in spite of my better judgement with his takes on disco I will refer to as friend of the show Chris uh, has been back and forth with us on this thunder brigade and tried to oust me from the show <laughs> In honor of like a, a, a disco career retrospective program, I'm not having this shit on my watch, my friend. <laughs> one day, days of disco will happen. One day. Oh god, I'll be cold in the fucking ground before that happens, friend. Long before disco as well, probably. <laughs> Uh, we follow up next with uh, Iron Mike Tanay uh, interviewing DDP DDP is just I think the cons- consistently the best promo going in WCW mm-hmm. at this point and like it's it, it feels to me Lee and maybe this is just I'm, I'm clinging on to especially when we come to next week's show I'm just trying to cling on to any positive sentiment I might have whatsoever but it really feels to me like I, I'm looking back at 90s DDP now and I'm going, wow, people really, in the grand scheme of it, the, the history of the Attitude Era, people really criminally underrate DDP. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember liking him at the time, like from the bits I'd watch. I was like, ah, yeah, DDP is good and he had the cool finish. And, but like looking back, like it, we're about eight weeks into Thunder now, two pay-per-views, so ten mm. weeks of the show and consistently DDP has been the highlight pretty much throughout it all I yeah. mean if you take alright take apart take out the Goldberg run which is just another level mm. but like DDP his matches every week his promos his connection with the crowd I mean it's it's actually blown me away just how over he is with this WCW crowd yeah, I think people just kind of take him as a given because he's kind of there consistently in the background this whole time as your United States champion uh, during a time where, as you said, the meteoric rise of Bill Goldberg was just a complete aberration. Um, and at the same time, you have probably the kind of um, 
the the hottest character they have in Sting. Uh, and he's just kind of almost fallen in the cracks because he's not a star on the ascent. He's already a star, and he hasn't just had a major gimmick change um, like Sting has had. So people kind of he he drops to the back of the list, and he hasn't just switched over from the other company like Brett has, you know. And the knock was always that he was Bischoff's neighbor and best mate yeah. and stuff like that. And the only reason he got angles with Hall and Ash is because he helped them on the way on their way up and stuff like that. But I mean, yeah, if you look at like what he's done on just an air shot run, I mean, he mm. fully deserves everything that he got. Yeah, and I think like people. Um people deride him as well for this like the famous idea that he pretty much liked to lay out his matches move for move beforehand but to be honest like for me i don't care how the sausage is made you know um it's a thing where if you call the match in the ring that's and it's amazing that's great you know my my favorite wrestler of all time Shawn michaels was a man who, who liked to call things in the ring um but if look if if you're calling a match spot for spot and it turns out to be a fantastic match as well um then that all the better uh, and they're matches that don't seem incredibly contrived either which you would think would be the case for a match that was plotted out move for move uh it feels much more organic and i i i imagine if just word hadn't gotten around on the sheets at the time that he planned his matches spot for spot we probably wouldn't know the difference no we wouldn't not at all um, but yeah, anyway, uh, another strong promo here from Paige. Uh, he he puts over Benoit, the match they had, and, and kind of, this is the thing, like, you've defeated your opponent or you're in a feud with the opponent, the kind of, um, the done thing is to kind of mow them down or talk about how you're better than them or, or you know, this kind of stuff. Uh, but he, Paige here is saying that he's like, he already had huge respect for Benoit, but after they've tussled twice now, uh, his respect is even higher for him um, and says that Super Brawl was the best match of his career and uh, you know I'd find it hard to disagree uh, at this point there's a couple of go- really good page matches that come up in 1998 I think this in in some ways is his his sterling year mm. um, but uh, yeah an absolutely brilliant match um, Raven interrupts says he wants a title shot now bear in mind that Benoit is wrestling him for the US title on this show so Raven says he wants a title shot DDP ever the fighting champion and you know this is something I fucking love Lee and uh, you know it's probably because I'm coming off uh, you know WWE where the guy who had the the A title was rarely even on the program um, for most of the last year and a half say Um, I love the trope of the fighting champion you know, somebody who's going to... Call, like the John Cena Open Challenge when he had the US belt. I love a champ that's just like, no, do you know what? I am the best. I back myself. If someone comes with a challenge, I'm not going to run away or say, no, we'll wait till the pay-per-view. I'm willing to fight you right now. So DDP says, come on down if you want a title shot. And Raven says, nah. <laughs> so <laughs> Ever to heal. <laughs> so the match is set for next week. And just to make sure, again, like like I said, I, I love this this commentary trio when they're left to their own devices and aren't forced to kind of put over some of the crap uh, angles. Uh, they they immediately close the logic loop that you might think. And they, they point out as DDP is exiting through the crowd, as he always does, that, hey, look, you know, he's got his US title shot. DDP mightn't even be champion next week. Don't forget that Benoit is... Uh, waiting in the wings later tonight for US title challenge because I have a feeling again if this was 2019 if this was major wrestling on nowadays 
they'd kind of make the title match for next week and then it would be kind of fate accompli you know well that's after giving away the finish of the match tonight um whereas they leave that element of doubt that it could be benoit versus raven and as we've seen on the program benoit and raven have history as well so it's utterly plausible that that would be the case yeah i mean this i thought this was like the perfect little segment didn't didn't even go that long you get the great babyface promo from ddp he builds up benoit builds up to their match tonight Raven comes out to challenge, says, what about him, what about Raven? Gets his shots in. You build up another match for next week. I mean, it was just per- like perfect. Yeah. Uh, and it's even, you know, sometimes, like, I-, I love Raven's mind for the business. Um, I-, I-, I really like, and, you know, some of his kind of the way he puts things together, I, I really have always appreciated. But something that, uh, like on and off gets on my nerves sometimes raven promos are in incessantly whiny um and when he keeps it short and sweet like this this is what i like um next up we have brad armstrong versus fit finley a couple of hard bastards here uh coming out to the ring i appreciated fit uh screaming down the camera as he goes past let's see what your american boys are made of (laughs) i have to say finley is the original big dave isn't he 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 really is. He and he loves to fight Lee. That's the thing about him. He comes out in his fucking Road Warrior kind of gear, and I don't mean Road Warrior uh, Animal and Hawk. I mean Mad Max Road Warrior. Um, he comes out with his shite hair, just ready to fucking punt a dude. Uh, <laughs> I, he, do you know what he looks like? He looks like that lad in the old lads bar that just sits at the bar all day and nobody talks to him because they know if they do, he is gonna get in your face and fucking knock you out. Like. Yeah, you will. Yeah. And he's the fella that, like, you know, he's kind of... You have to put, like, you have to prop a broom either side of him to stop him swaying too far from one way to the other. Um, But anyway, there's not much to this match, but during it, I was... <laughs> I was quite entertained by the little, little back and forth and commentary. So... <laughs> Tony is trying to figure out by wandering, wandering aloud to himself what the Armstrong curse possibly could mean because Brad Armstrong obviously comes out with a like a wife beater with a, like a, a horribly spray paint is it like a panther or something yeah, on something it like that. Uh, and Armstrong curse on it so to- uh, Tony is wandering aloud uh, what the Armstrong curse could possibly be uh, <laughs> to which Heenan and like this guy I, I can't possibly comprehend how consistently quick this man is on live television or even live to tape television in this case where he just said if I found out I was an Armstrong I'd be cursing (laughs) and it's just like some of his dumb jokes are just the best I think at the end of the match as well he says I guess being an Armstrong is the course as well yeah I mean it just again when Heenan's on it's he's untouchable yeah and at this stage this is great like the company has yet to completely beat him down into submission so pretty much every week he's been on so far uh, which is great um, finish this match Fit Finley kills him kills him with a tombstone yeah mortars this was uh, as close to a shoot tombstone as you are probably ever going to get I oh this was I can't remember if I did it anymore on this show but I certainly shrieked when, when this tombstone got sunk in I, I did like um, during the match actually I think it was either Tanay or Shivani put or not Tanay um, Marshall or uh, Shivani put a bit of importance on the match by saying both were coming off losses to Goldberg yeah. and they wanted to get back winning and you know this was why the match was put together which that's good logical matchmaking yeah 
it you give it's such a simple thing give fans a reason why this match matters and people will pay attention um up next uh we have dave taylor versus bulldog and i spent a lot of this match lee i'm not gonna lie to you trying to figure out which one of them is more the face of hard brexit <laughs> Do you know what? I have to fucking say anything right there. <laughs> I, I have written down, do you think Bulldog voted for Brexit? There, There is not a chance that if, uh, if like, if, if either of these men were kind of around on the British politics scene now, that there, there is zero chance they wouldn't be driving white vans. <laughs> Following um, Nigel Farage around Northern God, God rest Bulldog, but the, the, the look is certainly the face of hard Brexit, it's got to be said. Um, yeah. <laughs> Tony Tony mentions, this is huge for Uncensored coming up in just three weeks, Tony mentions during Bulldog's entrance that it will be Hogan versus Savage in a steel cage at Uncensored. Uh, gotta say, huge ovation for Davy Boy Smith here. Um, Mysterious is hugely over. Yeah, well, I guess this is at the stage where like Brett and the boys have only just come over relatively recently. So again, even though they're not doing a whole hell of a lot with Davy Boy, he's still you know a, a household name or yeah. or close to it. You know, he would be in that yeah. Yeah, like this isn't you know two thousands Davy Boy in his jeans throwing trash cans at Stephanie. You know, <laughs> hanging with the main street posse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hey, look, I won't hear a bad word said about Rodney. <laughs> what about the other two? <laughs> yeah, you can trash them all you want. <laughs> I did, um, they mentioned that Mongo had a broken arm, possibly yeah. going into the match at Super Bowl. Yeah. Which, I don't um, know, that doesn't make him brave. I just think that makes him fucking stupid. So this is this is funny, I, I think, yeah, because Stagger Lee spends a, a good, like, would you say, about 20 or 30 seconds putting over that... Davy Boy Smith is so tough that Mongo, who's a guy who got through an NFL career and never took a day off, that Davy Boy Smith is so tough he broke Mongo's arm. And I was like, okay, you know, I get that, um, you know, I get where they're coming from here. They're trying to make Davy Boy seem like, even though I don't care about Mongo, that is a significant idea that here's a guy who's renowned for being tough and Davy Boy Smith just broke him. Uh, but then just as I'm kind of ruminating on that thought going, yeah, that's cool, Tony butts in and goes, no, no, his arm is already broken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was very weird like I know where they were going with the whole putting bulldog thing over but yeah, yeah. I mean they just make Mongo sound like a fella dope to be honest yeah yeah um, uh, yeah this is uh, a nothing match anyway so yeah and then they also um, yeah this they, when they went oh his arm was already broken that's brought in another thing that like you know it isn't the first won't be the last time we see it popular 90s tropes dudes working hurt mm-hmm um, yeah, not great. But as you say, there wasn't much to this match. Uh, the match, as I wrote here in my notes, this match was so quick that Bulldog won while I was still writing about Mongo's arm. <laughs> yeah, that basically says well. Yeah, it's Paris Slam, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, standard. Uh, moving on, Tanay with Kurt Hennig, uh, who will face Brett at Uncensored. Uh, I noticed during this segment as well, there was uh, a group of people who I have only referred to in my notes as the body paint dorks. Uh, guys who had, they had face paint on, but they had gone one step further, popped off the shirts and tried to body paint six packs onto themselves. Um, just fine specimens of humanity here in in the crowd at Thunder this week. That, that was um, a late 90s trope for all college kids. Yeah. 
Um, I am absolutely loving uh, Kurt Hennig. You know, he's talking about how he's going to beat Brett, and then his ultimate thing to bother Brett and his heel shtick is to go, "Yeah, well, you know what? His father couldn't beat my father." <laughs> Which Marshall buries for the rest of the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they sound like a couple of kids. My dad's tougher than your dad. <laughs> yeah, oh, it is. It's proper. Like, there's the my dad's tougher than your dad, and then the other one is like, you know, I'm going to get my big cousin after you. Those are the, those are the two ones you hear a lot in school in Ireland. <laughs> yeah. Um, little, little scumbag kids threatening you with some big fic- fictional cousin. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't want to get us kicked off this network two weeks yeah, in. Not, not, not too early. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he basically explained, like, behind the your dad couldn't beat my dad stuff, um, Kurt Henning explained, look, he was offered when he came here, uh, the NWO wanted to welcome with open arms. Uh, he could join, but he decided to join WCW instead, which is a decision that got a mixed reception in the crowd, I will say. Um, so because he turned down the NWO, basically, he has to be killed. Um, and then, yeah, I wrote, yeah, Lee, Stagger Lee here and throughout the show, anytime it came up, absolutely appalled that Stu Hart's name would be brought into such disrepute in front of him. <laughs> that Larry the Axe could beat him. Yeah. Um, um, they, they also build up to a Kurt Henning, Jim the Anvil Nightheart match for later in the show. Yeah. And I'm sure you cannot wait for that one. I'm so psyched, man. Uh, next, we have Bill Goldberg versus Rick Fuller. Here's the thing, Lee. Is Rick Fuller in the NWO? Because that's the music that was playing. No, his music was playing, and then the NWO music would play over repeatedly again why, and again. Why, <laughs> why was this happening? Because WCW. Yeah, I'm just going to officially induct Rick Fuller retroactively into the NWO because of this. Well, would he be any worse than Vincent or Brian Adams or... No, he definitely wouldn't be any worse. Nope, for sure. Uh, This starts off as a bit of a mat wrestling clinic as uh, Bill Goldberg goes into his uh, single leg takedown. Mm -hmm. Um, Then he does a really cool looking, like a rolling gut wrench. Um, I I don't know what what exactly, like it seemed to be just a spur of the moment kind of thing, but it looked pretty cool. Um, they, They get to their feet, Rick Fuller attempts a big boot. It essentially just ricochets off Goldberg. (laughs) And he roars at him, spears him, jackhammer, three count, crowd go wild. It's just, it's such a simple formula. Again, I think you're uh, underselling the whole aspect of this. Because when Fuller big boots Goldberg and he just snaps his neck and screams at him, the crowd goes fucking bananas. Yeah, and that's this is the thing. Like we were talking about how, you know, selling is good. Selling is a lost art in 2019. But one of the great things about guys selling moves, and I was actually listening to, um, I was listening to a Sirius XM interview with Jim Ross, um, because I, you know, Jim Ross being involved with AEW is really fascinating to me because of the ways I know in which he kind of agrees and disagrees with Cody in the books philosophically. So I was listening to to Bully Ray interviewing him. Um, and he was talking about the idea of like selling and no selling and you know matches that look like wrestling matches and r- matches that look like acrobats and, and and things like that and 
you know, whereas I do absolutely agree with him that I think selling's a lost art and I think dudes need to sell more and better and it really gets matches over. Like a friend of the show, James, he loves nothing more than a bit of selling of the limb. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I think when a, a great benefit you have if 95% of the roster are doing really good selling in their matches is that if you get one guy like an Undertaker or a Goldberg then who isn't selling things it's huge you know if everyone left right and center aren't selling moves then nothing means anything you know but if you have kind of uh, 95% that psychology where you're selling limbs you're working limbs and things like that then you have a Goldberg who the expectation in the crowd is oh Rick Fuller's hit the big boot look at the size of that dude that's going to take him out mm. It's such a. It means so much more when Goldberg no sells that than if kind of guys up and down the card were just no selling destroyers and super kicks and all this sort of stuff like you'll see on some kind of shindies nowadays. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, I mean, like, like I say, you just have to look at the reaction when Goldberg does it. It's just, it's the biggest thing to happen on the show so far. Yeah, and and almost it feels like week on week that that reaction is getting bigger and bigger and building and building. It's it's fascinating to watch. Like I, I know it all culminates in July, basically. So like we we're what eight weeks or so into Goldberg, and already we can see week on week on week it's just growing and growing and growing. And yeah. even now, like like I say, eight weeks in, he's still not to the the finished Goldberg package as everyone likes to remember him mm. like still the intro isn't quite there like the crowd don't pop for his music until his face comes on the screen yeah but when they know it's him they fucking pop yeah yeah but like it, the, the pyro isn't quite there his yeah he isn't he isn't walking through fire yet yeah yes but like the, the moves are there the, the spear the, yeah. the gorilla press slam like that's all there yeah, but even in the eight weeks, if you look at the how much the crowd reaction has come mm-hmm. on and things like they've they've pretty much like on commentary they'll still call him Bill Goldberg sometimes, but by and large it's dropped to just Goldberg yeah. now. So like the presentation is getting there and getting more mm-hmm. refined, and and as you say, like it kind of comes to a head in July. So we've got a good kind of four four and a half months of this left. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know. Long may it last. I'm just going to enjoy it while it's here because we all kind of know where it's going after July. Exactly. I was only thinking of it. I was watching something re- WCW related with Connor recently, and I was just like, "Damn, I've only got four and a half months of thunder left. Yeah, yeah. That's that's building up Goldberg." Like, yeah. I I mean that's kind of one of the the the, the inbuilt fallacies of this show is that anything we get involved in, we kind of know ultimately what happens to most people that ever get over in this company so it's kind of it, in some respect it feels futile sometimes but I try not to think about that and I just try to continue to enjoy my grafters extra pale ale <laughs> um, yeah. next up we got Raven on the flock showing up I appreciated a sign in the crowd at this point that reads Pamela fears Tommy so I assume this is either around the time of their divorce and or sex tape oh the 90s that was definitely loady with that sign by the way it was indeed. Lodi also, and um, I don't know if this is a bit of context I'm missing, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Lodi has body painted on himself. Presumably he borrowed body paint off those dudes in the crowd from earlier. Uh, he has body painted pi r squared uh, onto himself. Um, 
So, Lee, do you have any idea why that is, or did he just have a geometry exam in the morning? I have no idea, and I didn't even realise that's what it was. Yeah, but I, it took me a second. I was like, that looks familiar. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are obviously a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> yeah, I suppose at least I knew what pi r squared was, whereas Lodi had to write it on himself to remember it. It just reminded me of lads who used to, like, write... Um, for try to write like formulas or proofs or something like that before math a math exam on their wrist or on the the little label on the inside of their tie which brings me to my tangent question of the week for you lee mm-hmm. what is the most ridiculous instance of cheating on a school exam you ever saw uh the whole class leaving notes in the toilet and taking turns go to the toilet to get the notes Oh, that's an absolute classic. Now, did you go, because I've seen this in two ways. So was it the book just in the toilet or did you go full fucking secret agent, which one kid did in my school, where he put the notes in a Ziploc bag inside the cistern? Wow, no, it was, this was just like literally yeah. written notes just to go in, have a look, remember them, write the answers. Yeah, like no one went in and checked the toilet. So it was really like an unnecessary level of paranoia in that case. <laughs> But that still wasn't the the finest example of cheating I ever saw because I saw the most brazen act of cheating perhaps ever to take place in my school. And that was somebody that five minutes into a chemistry exam just took out the fucking textbook. What? In the middle of the the exam hall. (laughs) Had it under his shirt. Under his shirt? Under his shirt, big thick chemistry textbook. Now I was, I would have been probably because they were in-house exams, so I would have been doing biology at the t- at the same time because I didn't do chemistry. So he took out his giant chemistry textbook, just put it up on the table, opened it as if he was just doing his fucking homework. <laughs> and the teacher didn't say anything. Well, this is the thing. So it started off with a, like the guy beside him immediately saw it and was like, "What the <laughs> fuck?" And that like in turn just like a domino effect where it radiated out and more and more of the room became consciously aware <laughs> and it became a thing where people were kind of just watching him and he was smiling I was like how long has he got to get away for this and like the teacher walked past him and then like froze took like two or three steps back and just basically must have again it was across the exam hall so I don't know what he said to him but it looked basically like your man was caught he knew he was caught and the teacher was like right Get get the fuck out of here! Take your book and your bag. You're off to the principal's office. That, that's a good one. I I think I can top it though. Go on, go on. You were talking about in-house exams. So yeah. in our mocks for the leaving cert, yeah, we were given not only the mock papers by our teacher two weeks in advance. Yeah, we were given the fucking answers to the mock questions because we were so bad at the subject. <laughs> we we never got the answers to a mock. I I have heard that kind of thing going on. Um, the closest we got was there's a there was a school that got the same so they're like when the mock exams come out if there are schools in the same area there tends to be like a an A version a B version a C version a D version whatever like okay. that get given out by the, the exam commission so um, what ended up happening was our school got the same science paper as a school at the next town over mm. So someone managed to get the answers to our, I think it was our junior search science, but I, I wouldn't hold me to that. I can't really remember. It was a long, long time ago. Um, although I, I think the only thing that I remember from my junior search, wasn't even a cheating thing, was there was a guy who came into, um, we have a subject in, in Ireland called CSP, which would be, I suppose to the Americans, it would be the equivalent of civics. It's social, just a, like a very, yeah, yeah. It's a very like 
foundational kind of module teaching you about politics but you have to do an exam and the exam is a bit of a farce and everybody knows it it's not taken seriously and uh, a guy in my class Noel showed up in his pyjamas to it (laughs) he lived like literally you you could throw a stone from our exam hall and like break a window in his house that's how close he was so he just like full dressing gown slippers and and long pyjamas did he do it as a like as a bet or anything or no no this is just the kind of guy he was and like obviously the exam didn't take long because it was CSV I think it was like a 40 minute test or something like Uh, I think it was like I think you could leave after half an hour and the test was 90 minutes or something but you wouldn't even need an hour for it yeah I remember from CSV it was very very easy I think everyone got an A in it like yeah yeah um, oh it's yeah but Jesus showed up in his pajamas Um, did did you have in your school where you could volunteer to do the um, invigilation yes yeah, yeah, where basically all you were doing was bringing the teacher biscuits and tea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I never did it, but I saw the guys who did, and, like, any time they'd walk past anybody, like, at their, you know, at the desks, everyone would be like... <laughs> 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 so it didn't seem like it was worth it for, like, 50 euro or whatever they got. Yeah, no, I did. I got, like, I think it was, like, around 30, 30 pound at the time. Yeah. And um, it was basically just sitting outside the exam room with headphones on, listening to whatever CD I was listening to at the time, probably Limp Bizkit yeah. or something, yeah. and reading some fucking year in, year in review of Formula One or wrestling yeah. or whatever it was. My, my buddy and I had to do something similar for the music practicals one year, um, because it was in a different room at one side of the school, and it was like the, the music room was on a main thoroughfare, so we had to get people to go around. So we just took the piss and started acting like bouncers. <laughs> So, yeah, just like sorry, buddy, not tonight. <laughs> that kind of shit. Anyway, like like you knew what Bouncer said to anyone at that stage. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, well, uh, to be fair, at that age, I think we were like seventeen, so you probably had been turned away trying to get into some no, pubs at true. that stage. But anyway, uh, that's a way to get on from uh, what Lodi had written on his chest. <laughs> But uh, we had now La Parca versus Yuji Nagata with Sonny Ono. Um, perhaps the first recorded selfie in wrestling history as Sonny Ono and his disposable camera stop on the ramp with Yuji Nagata to take a selfie. Uh, and I really hope that photo got developed and exists somewhere. I'm sure it exists in Sonny Ono's house somewhere. Um, La Parca <laughs> La Parca starts this match by adopting a crane stance, so I'm going to fire up the martial arts division klaxon on this one, Lee. <laughs> Um, but what's great is he adopts the crane stance to invite an attack from Yuji Nagata and then just starts punting him in the shins. <laughs> Classic Parker. Parker, the ultimate scumbag wrestler, it must be said, and I love him for it. Could you imagine, like, this match could actually take place in 2019? Yeah. Now, it'd be considerably worse, and this wasn't great. That but is true. But... It could still technically happen. Um... <laughs> Yeah, no, there, there really wasn't anything to this match, was there? I mean, it was just kind of no. there. I don't even think the commentators cared all that much. Yeah, they were... I, I felt like during this portion of the show, they were incredibly off-topic. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a couple of bits in this match I did enjoy. La Parker got Yuji Nagata into the Tree of Woe, and Lee, it's one of my... Right up there with the Luchador, Ars over Tea Kettle, Miss Dropkick spot. I love a Tree of Woe. <laughs> 
<laughs> you, and Ke- you and Kelvin Sullivan love a tree of woe. Yeah, love a tree of woe. So you put him in the tree of woe, and then of all moves, did a spinning wheel kick into Yuji Nagata when he was in the tree, tree of woe. Uh, in a move that, again, yeah, this was the other point in the show that made me shriek. He uses the chair to, in a Sabu style, do a double jump plancha to the outside on Yuji Nagata. My word, that looked potentially life threatening. Yeah, I was not expecting that from Park in 1998. No. Jesus. Uh, La this was gas. Uh, the referee kept getting distracted, and La just like kept waffling him with a chair, and the ref is just mi- missing this. Yeah, he seemed to have like a hook on the back of the chair that he was able yeah. to hang it from the apron on the ring. Yeah, there was definitely something he tried to. Um, it's like he tried to hang it off the ropes at the start and just he couldn't get it so he kind of like hung it off the apron instead but yeah he was able to keep it just out of reach but just so he could grab it and waffle him and then the referee wouldn't see um so Sonny is objecting to this disco comes out hits Sonny with a chart buster and uh, nagata big boots the chair into laparka's head and taps him with the nagata lock that was a weird match it was, yeah, it was weird. It certainly happened. Uh, these two men out, came out and events occurred in sequence until there was a winner. Um, Scott Hall, promo time now. Um, he's just basically reminding us of what he had said once in a promo last month, is that he'd won World War Three. It was his time to come to the front of the line and get a title shot. He was going to take the belt off of Sting at Uncensored, following it with the, the classic line, don't sing it, bring it. Um, uh, good from I, Scott Hall I thought I did like that he said uh, Sting was all en- cool entrance and nothing in the ring I mean yeah. it was a nice little put down um, yeah, yeah also was... a bit also a bit rich coming from him at this point <laughs> um, yeah I mean look I, I, I'm a Scott Hall fan so I'm always going to oh, yeah. side with him I mean I know he had his issues and all that and I'm sure you'll yeah. see plenty of it but yeah I, I'd like seeing Scott Hall in the main event programme Oh no, quite happy. Love Scott Hall. Um, decent promo from him, just reminding us he's here and that this is the new focus for the main event scene uh, for this month. Simple, and it was over before you knew it. Um, that's what I like, rather than like a 20 minute promo that would have just been done to achieve the same thing. And the big, in the big, next segment. The big news coming out of it is the next part. Uh, and by the big news, do you mean someone throwing a football at Lee Marshall? <laughs> No, I did not mean that, but yeah, that happens as well. <laughs> yeah, so as the announcers go to kind of move on, someone tosses a football at Lee, at Lee Marshall. Lee Marshall notices this, obviously, throws the ball away, and the other two announcers notice this, and what a trio of professionals that no one laughed, because I <laughs> fucking died. Yeah, <laughs> poor Lee Marshall. Oh my god. Uh, then, like... <laughs> So Tony is appalled and shocked by something, and I thought this was him reacting to the football, but it's not. Uh, he's saying that they're announcing Sting and Savage versus Hogan and Hall for Monday, and they are just in a tizzy about this. Yeah, and then they never really stop talking about it for the rest of the show. Um, yeah, I mean, it is big news, I guess, a WCW guy and NWO guy teaming up. But they kind of just they harp on on and on though. On and on about it for the rest of the show. Yeah, and it, it feels it gets kind of insufferable. Like, yeah, it feels like um, it, it feels like something that um, 
they were just told it was on their run sheets like put this over huge mm. and kind of with no direction as to how huge they were supposed to put it over and they may have put it over entirely too huge yeah pretty much uh, another kind of biggest night in the history of our sport level blowing things out of proportion mm. uh, anyway what are we on from here oh yes Buff Bagwell comes out or at least a robot approximating Buff Bagwell <laughs> what the fuck was going on when he walked out here Oh, he looked very weird. <laughs> I wonder, was he, like, told that he was being cut for time or something like this? Because he essentially, like, just power walks out to the ring, completely expressionless. It's he, really fucking bizarre. He doesn't do the strut. He doesn't do any mannerisms. He just kind of walks in a ring with a glassy look in his eyes. Like, it's just very strange. Yeah, he's basically here to introduce his new pal, Scott. And the reason we're going to bring this up is because there is a very important detail in this segment, and one that I don't think I ever do before. Oh, um, yeah, I, I know what you're going for. Oh, my goody. Like, I'll tell you what, it sorted out the name of this episode for sure. I'll tell you that. <laughs> because he's doing... He, so he starts doing the ring announcing for this match, for reasons best known to himself. Uh, and he's talking about uh, how he was the biggest arms in the world, but now he's going to introduce the biggest arms in the universe, because here comes White... Thunder. Yep. Scott Steiner. White Thunder. White. Like, right. With a name like that, he could get elected in Alabama. I. Mm, I. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Between the nickname, the haircut, and the tendency as time would go on to wear sunglasses inside and shout incoherently, this is a very white supremacist sounding thing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I do have no memory of White Thunder being a thing. No, no, no. I did not know there was a moniker in between when he turned and Big Papa Pump. I, I thought it was fairly, like, I, yeah, I didn't I think there was seamless. much of a window. Yeah. Um, I was wrong, and I'm so happy White Thunder is here, and I got this little bit of detail. Here's another piece of news, and I really hope you haven't heard this, because I would love your reaction on the air. Did you see the uh, first team announced for King of Trios? Oh, I have. Oh my god. Scott Steiner, little Petey Pump, Petey Williams, and Big Mama, Big Mama Pump. Pump, Jordan Grace. The Pump House. <laughs> I am absolutely watching that show yeah. this year. I have not watched Kings of Trio in full in years, I would say. I am watching that. I'll tell you what, here's a here's a free plug for independentwrestling.tv. They've got loads of the old King of Trios shows oh, on there. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. I'm going to look up. Um... Because I was watching, oh fuck! I can't. I, I, I was watching some good old uh, Order of the Neo Solar Temple stuff on there uh, around WrestleMania time when I had a subscription, and it was a good time. I used to I used to dip in and out of uh, of Chikara uh, a fair bit. Um. So yeah. See, Chikara is something I never fully invested in. I just kind of dipped, like literally match here, match there. I mean, when they had a time traveller come in, shut the place down, and, and stuff like that, it was kind of, that's where a lot of people fell off, that's I think. That's a weird name for my Quackenbush's wife. Hey. <laughs> Teetor. Um, that is, I'll tell you what, we've only been doing this show for eight weeks, and I've managed to fit a reference into the Teetor conglomerate twice, and I'll tell you what, if the Chikarmi are not happy with me after that, I don't know what to fucking do. Um... Anyway, Scott Steiner comes out versus, and this is an incredible bit of comedy from Buff Bagwell, announces him as some guy called Marty Janetti who cares what he weighs in at. <laughs> yeah, that's a, probably the best thing Buff has done so far. 
Um, Scott gets in the ring and basically, again, this is, unless there's a big thing about uh, Lex Luger and Michigan going on on Nitro that I am not aware of, he just starts running down Lex because he never got into Michigan State to to be on the wrestling team. Um, Yeah, wasn't Lex a big football star in Florida? I believe so. Um, and in the middle of this, while he's trying to run Lex down, I enjoyed uh, Buff yelling at the crowd, shut up, White Thunder is trying to speak. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure it's something that Buff has repeated many times in his life. Indeed, sir. Indeed. Um, Scott squashes Janetti, wins with a Frankensteiner. And more importantly, he still can't too sweet. Uh, yeah, he still can't. It, it got better. I will say the, the fist was uh, still closed. It was still a yeah. closed hand as he yeah. just touched Buff's hand. He, like. he at least he at least knew he was supposed to do something because on the pay per view when he had to do the two sweet, there was like whoever it was, whether it was Scott or whoever threw up the two sweet at him, and there's like a pause where he didn't know what was going on. So at least as soon as Buff threw it up, he knew he was supposed to throw his arm in the direction of him. So hopefully. Uh, you know, in as much as we're building up for the next four and a half months of Goldberg, maybe over the next four and a half months we'll gradually see those digits start to move on the two suite. Who knows? Um, next up we have the the match that was advertised earlier in the night: uh, Kurt Hennig versus uh, Jim the Advil Nightheart. And this match immediately completely off the rails because Scott returns out <laughs> because he had heard the commentators dissing how he had turned on Rick. Um, and he came out to basically threaten the announcers and correct the record. He didn't turn on Rick, even though, I don't know, you know, his version of events, Lee, is that he was trying to persuade Rick to join the NWO with him. But certainly by the fact that instead of having a conversation with him, he beat him up. He hit him uh, across the back of the head with a double axe handle, yeah. Yeah, and then and then hurt him repeatedly and let uh, Scott Hall hit him with the outsider edge. Um I'm not buying Scott's recollection of but, these events. But, knowing the Steiners the way you do, would it surprise you if they communicated through violence? Uh, no, no. It would exp- <laughs> In fact, it would explain an awful lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, the highlight was uh, Scott calling Rick Ricky on commentary repeatedly. Yeah. And all I could do was get flashbacks to uh, Bianca in... Senders, gone. I was thinking this, and this this will tell you just our kind of relative interest. You went to EastEnders. I went to uh, the animated movie Secret Life of Pets. Oh uh, yes, rest <laughs> in peace, Ricky. <laughs> yes, that which is, is like another great show. <laughs> when I went to see that that first film, I actually went to a a, a special advanced preview of the second one, which is pretty Bastards. decent. I'm still waiting to see yeah. that one pretty decent and you see you've got a kid so you have that excuse that you're bringing him to see mm-hmm. it where I just have to go by my creepy self to these films well, you won't go see Detective Pikachu so I'm going to have to see that on my own yeah I, <laughs> friend of the show I'm going to shout him out Jack Lazell is like uh, he was jealous that like I, I, I go with Emma or I go with somebody else or I go during the day uh, on a day off to go see animated movies mm. but he's like I can't get away in central London with going to um animated movies by myself I was like why and he goes because I'm a grown man I look like a pedophile <laughs> and I was like in this day and age you're probably not wrong that people will assume that that if there's a man by himself at an animated movie in the middle of the day that there's just, something just don't wear a Chelsea jersey you'll be fine yeah. <laughs> oh deep cuts <laughs> um, 
Where I've completely lost but it. But yeah, you were saying uh, Secret Life of Pets too. Oh yeah, so yeah, there's um in the first one there's a, a mentally unstable rabbit. I think it's Kevin Hart does his voice, it is, isn't yeah. it? And yeah, uh, periodically he just re- references this like goose or swan that was a mate of his that somehow tragically dies and repeatedly just screams "Rest in peace, Ricky." And it's like the best recurring dumb joke in the whole movie, and I love it so much. Oh, I'm gonna have to watch that movie again. Oh, it's good stuff. Um, <coughs> so what did we have after uh, uh, this? Anvil and Henning and Ah, yes. So yeah, he's. Cr- <laughs> Virgil and Brian Adams pretty much straight away after the Scott Steiner run in on commentary come out and jump bull, uh, jump Jim Bulldog comes out to run them off uh, and it kind of just fizzles out after that and I'll tell you what there is nothing in this world I want to see less than Jim Neidhart and the Bulldog against Virgil and Brian Adams but it feels like that match must happen at some point yeah, okay, so next we had an advert for Kevin Nash making fun of stuff. Um, this was bizarre. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Nash just basically, it's like he paid for time on Turner just to make fun of the giant. So he does what, admittedly, quite a funny impersonation of the giant. Uh, and then uh, explains li- <laughs> explains lifting up like kind of like raising the Titanic. Um, a weird comparison. <laughs> yeah, Nash is just a fucking, just a dork, and it's great. I really uh, like. I this. will say this segment was more entertaining than pretty much all of the matches on this show. <laughs> yeah, and more entertaining than most of Kevin Nash's matches in general. Here's the thing about Kevin Nash: is that Kevin Nash is an unbelievable personality, and it's such a shame he wasn't like you couldn't cram that personality into like Bret Hart's body or something like that, you know. <laughs> that you had this guy who just like his body was constantly falling apart and even when he was in rude health was kind of shite but hey look he's he's an entertaining personality and is now like a a woke feminist on twitter and I fucking love it woke daddy cool in 2019 yeah man I'm loving it loving (laughs) it as uh, Brian um, my former Link to the Cast co-host was, was telling me recently, because he's not a big wrestling guy, he's only been to maybe five wrestling shows in his life um, that I've brought him to um, but he kind of like is very, with sp- any sort of sport is interested in the kind of inside baseball like he, he kind of loves the behind the scenes mm. drama, stuff like that, so I gave him Death of WCW at one point and he was like, it's great, because for like the first four or five wrestling shows he went to, his one talking point, if he ever got stuck talking to any of like the lads who wouldn't have any common interests with him, he could c- try and fit in the talking point that he knows Kevin Nash is an arse <laughs> because he read about Kevin Nash in WCW but then he he texts me the other day and he's like so I've seen Kevin Nash's Twitter and that's like my one talking point about wrestling gone out the fucking window <laughs> yeah you can't bad know Kevin Nash anymore yeah because now he's class anyway exactly. moving on speaking of Kevin Nash we got Raven versus Kevin Nash uh, and Raven explains this is Raven's rules which means there are no rules but also it's battle royal rules yeah uh I'm confused by that one. <laughs> yeah, also, uh, again, and this is symptomatic of the the WCW we will come to know and uh, not so much love, um, it's the weird-ass booking of Nash had literally just done an advert in which he bragged about crippling a man, mm-hmm. and now in this segment, unless I'm very much mistaken, he is the valiant babyface. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Kevin Nash is a cool motherfucker, and nobody wanted to... Ch- boom anyway so 
you yeah. know, may as well book him as a face in peril against the whole flock. Yeah, and that's what happens. He comes in and the flock attempt to all jump him and he just beats the fuck out of them. <laughs> Pretty much the whole flock except for Saturn and Raven. Except for, yeah, Raven just boots it the fuck out of there. He's like, nope, doesn't want to be involved. Yeah, Saturn stands, like, awkwardly in the corner for a long period of time before he boots it out of there. And then poor Lodi ends up eating two jackknives, combining to a, I believe, did they say at this point, it was $550,000 in fines or something Uh, like that? I think it was at 255000 coming into the match, and then it was 355000 coming out of the match. Ah, my mistake. If you're yes. going to keep an accurate count on all these Indeed. wonderful finds that the fans love. Well, uh, look, I know you're our continuity guy on the program, so you, you've got this shit on lock, my friend. Uh, so I will defer to your expertise on that. Next up, rubbing my hands together because it is Benoit versus DDP3. Genuinely, Lee, under different circumstances where these were the two guys at the top of the card, not in the middle of the card. Mm-hmm. I, look, I don't want to sound too hyperbolic when I say that this had the makings of what you would call, if this was Japanese wrestling, a career feud. I was just about to say that this could have been a career rivalry for both these guys. Yeah. Like, I mean, you look at Triple H and The Rock in WWF around the same time. Yeah. They were rivals for the IC title. They both yeah. moved up at the same time, became yeah. rivals for the top title, back and forward, back and forward. Yeah, and that, that, that run of those two in 2000 in WWF mm-hmm. is some of my, is like one of my favourite rivalries of all time. And this had like that potential. Yeah. Because, I mean, DDP moved up to the main event around right the start of 99-ish. Benoit wasn't long behind them. I mean, people forget yeah. that. Benoit was like an upper mid-card guy. Yeah. From early 99 onwards. And they just didn't pull the trigger on him, on him and he was already out the fucking door. Which is... We'll get to at some point, I'm yeah. sure. Uh, yeah, in about five years. <laughs> um, at the rate we're going. But yeah, um, I love this feud. Like I said, a career rivalry potential. It's so intense, this feud. So closely fought. And the idea of this is kind of honour and respect between the two. Mm-hmm. But as they wrestle more and more, there's kind of less of the putting on airs about respecting your opponent and more like, I'm going to get the fucker this time, which I really like. Um, Every match as well of the three big matches has been different so far. This one here on Thunder feels more like a fight than anything else. Kind of, We had the, the first fight, which was it was cut short and it was quite respectful. Mm-hmm. The second match at the pay-per-view was very respectful, very well fought, but we had that period at the end of the match where Benoit figured out a way to throw DDP off his well-studied game plan and just make them fight, which was more on Benoit's terms. And this one just starts off there, where they are brawling, it kind of, um, they they spill to the outside and into the crowd. Um, like I said, it doesn't feel like either match before. It feels like this is the first of the three that the entire match is being contested on Benoit's terms, and I love it. Yeah, it, it, like right out the gate, it just feels like a down and dirty brawl almost. Like, just, yeah, yeah we res- I respect you, but I'm going to beat the fuck out of you kind of thing. Like, it just, yeah. it breaks down immediately. And I love, I love the camera work because it's not yeah. clean. And it feels yeah. like hectic but, and crazy. Yeah, but, and... but not like not not clean in the way I think the most common uh, contemporary one is like the shaky shield cam. Mm. Not like that at all. 
no, um, no. Like, it, it, it didn't feel like oh we're shaking the camera to make it seem intense it felt like we genuinely don't know what's going on in this fight and the cameramen are trying their best to capture the action yeah exactly um, like I know ECW get a big props for the whole thing of like following around the, the ring following a spot or whatever like this is what this was they brought out to the crowd the, the camera followed them and you feel like you're kind of missing something but you're not really yeah, and it's that kind of like, oh, did I miss something? Did something happen? Is something about to happen? Like, are we going to miss something? It was just, it was really unique for uh, Thunder. I thought a really yeah. unique presentation, and uh, suitably for the match. Again, all this stuff, the logic behind all this is so sound because this is a walk and brawl. It's tough. It's in your face. Benoit obviously takes control of this situation. Uh, Page is trying to fire up a couple of times. Eventually, both men get knocked down. Raven comes in for the DQ. Benoit tackles them out of the ring and Paige does a plancha on top of them as the show goes off the air. Now, Lee, when the first match ended by DQ, I wasn't happy because it was so good. Then we got the second match that absolutely delivered. Mm-hmm. And this time, because we now have the two months of context of this three-way feud with Raven going on, might be a controversial take to say I enjoyed this finish. Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, Obviously, we know it's building to a triple threat match out uncensored. Yeah. Um, so, it, I mean, I wasn't expecting a clean finish coming into this. I wasn't quite sure, but yeah. I wasn't really expecting a clean finish. But yeah, I think as well, when you're in the three-way feud, you kind of can't have the clean finish here. Like, I I yeah. know... I, mean, we, I, think, we, I think a WWE trope would be to have them all beat each other, and that gets nobody yeah. over. Yeah. Whereas, if they're all so desperate to get at each other, it makes way more sense to have the kind of non-finish. Like, you could do Raven DDP the next week and have another non-finish, and it yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and, it, like, for all these guys' character character motivations, it, it makes perfect sense, mm-hmm. because you have, you have DDP, who is the champion, Benoit, who is the guy who's trying to prove he can get in his head, outsmart, and beat DDP, and then Raven, who's just the agent of chaos. Yeah. Um coming in there and not as concerned about wins or losses on TV uh, as ev- as everybody else he's just there for himself basically because he believes the industry is forgetting about him and he just wants to be like a cog in the wheel of WCW whether he comes out with a belt or not yeah. and I, I do like that he, he just wants his deal where, where he gets it from he doesn't really care um, I do think he missed one thing in the match do tell Benoit does what I can only describe as a Northern Lights slam it's yeah. like he sets up for a Northern Lights suplex but slams DDP face first yeah. and he busts up Paige's face pretty badly mm. so badly that the camera the hard cam zooms out and that's the shot for the rest of the match yeah. um, it looked pretty gruesome to be honest ah, indeed um, it wasn't you know but that's cool the, like that's you know as it happens you know that ended up kind of giving the match a little bit more needle as we would say where it just felt that bitch much more like an out of control fight oh yeah and it felt it, it, it felt more real that like DDP is busted up as Raven comes in and gets involved and you have the, the fucking the bloody guy just getting involved in a proper fight like it just it, it did all add to it and made for a great finish to the show at all yeah absolutely uh, Lee, that's that's episode eight of Thunder in the bag. Uh, give me your winners and losers. Uh, ooh, winners. Uh, I, I have it, it's a rogue answer, I think, but like DDP, Page, and Raven. Yeah, I think it's hard. To, like, it's a strong last impression that was left on us there. It's hard to disagree, really. Um, uh, loser. Uh, 
God, I don't know, Brad Armstrong for getting buried by Heenan. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also think maybe, who was it? Uh, I think poor Bulldog as well that might have been given the bit of momentum of being the guy who crippled uh, Mongo, having it immediately taken out from underneath and by oh, his arm was already broken. Mm-hmm. Is a bit of a loser. Um, and I'd, I'd have to concur w- with your winners uh, on this one of the three men involved in the main event. Um, with a small bonus winner of Jericho dancing <laughs> can I add one thing one thing that I love and I don't think I've brought it up yet on the show please do the US title design is brilliant. probably my favourite mainstream title it's, ever uh, I, it's, I love the look of that title it's certainly considerably better than the WWE version once mm. they kind of like they they brought in that US belt, they got rid of it, and, and then once they had the brand extension, they, they brought in that, that, that other version. And you know what, like, the the normal US title, it's not bad. It's not great, though. It's not great either, yeah, um, that's for sure. What What is your favourite belt? Uh, I. It feels like the really fucking easy answer, but the Winged Eagle belt... Um, the, the belt that that Sean held that Sean and Brett held and mm. Austin won before it became Big Blue. Uh, Big Blue, I also love, but I also love the the late nineties, early two thousands Intercontinental title in in WWF. Oh, um, the, the kind of bigger design that they... the 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 oval. Yeah. Um. The the one that I I kind of uh, associate most closely with the the Benoit Jericho feud of two thousand. Uh, okay, that one I thought you I thought you meant the uh, the original IC title design that. The, the white redone. strap yeah no the one they've redone on the white strap yeah 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 um, no I like that as well but I, I love the oval one there's just something about it that kind of I think I my my wrestling interest during that first wave of my fandom was absolutely at fever pitch in 2000 and I love that intercontinental title division with all my heart at the time um, so that might be it um, but do you know to be fair I've always had a soft spot for the big gold WCW title it's a as classic well. yeah it feels like a championship belt in spite of all the things that will be done in a couple of years to attempt to sully that um, I, I still love it quite a lot I must say um, that is going to do it for uh, episode 8 of Days of Thunder we'll be back in two weeks covering uh, episode 9 um, in the meantime check out prowrestlingonly.com um, check out the thread uh, on, pro- on forums.prowrestlingonly.com check out the thread uh follow us on twitter at wcw thunder pod get involved in the conversation on there if you're not in the forums on pro on pwo and uh, we love hearing from you on there uh, if you want to chat to eat like either of us separately as well you could follow me at the day to dave and and lee is at malone underscore 713 uh we love hearing from the thunder buddies um thunder has kind of invaded our lives so we're quite happy <laughs> for a reason for like reasons of masochism to talk about thunder pretty much round the clock um so please do drop by and give us a shout tell us how you're enjoying the show or little memories you might have from watching it or if you're if you're one of the people who has taken on to watch thunder along with us you know fair play to you for jumping in the foxhole with us um but anyway yeah we shall see you in two weeks for another episode of the program until then everybody be well uh, enjoy your trip down thunder road we shall talk to you soon I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart 
I can see through the sky.